Hey everyone, welcome to the Color Theory Podcast, a podcast all about design, diversity, and inclusion. I'm Becca Markham. And I am Maxwell Van Hook. All right, so today we are getting into this fun little topic called microaggressions. And what... I, I think at this point, I'm just going to start everything with a definition. <laughs> no, I think that's a, a good idea because I also think microaggressions are... Microaggressions is another buzzword that people use loosely, but I don't mm-hmm. know if they have a full understanding. And, it, and, you know, when I first heard the term microaggressions, I was like, ooh, like people are being aggressive towards me. And I, I, I think that the definition actually helped me a lot to figure yeah, out what, yeah. what that is. So microaggressions. So it's a statement or action or incident regarded as an instance of indirect, subtle, or unintentional discrimination against members of a marginalized group, such as racial or ethnic minority. So one thing I have to ask. Yeah. What are some microaggressions that you have faced in the workplace? Uh, 2019, if just like before the New Year's, like if there was any New Year's resolution that I wanted white people to collectively embrace, if they could stop using ghetto loosely in sentences. Mm. Um, I say this because to me, ghetto is representative of one to two things. Within the origination of the word, like when you look at the ghetto and its origins we're looking at jewish internment camps right but when you look at the american context we're very much talking about marginalized communities of color and so we we changed the the nature of that that word but it still like very dark like connotations mm-hmm. essentially like ghetto is a trap like it's not it's a place that you don't get out of. Mm-hmm. It's a place that you're confined to. I don't know why we use it in this like lighthearted way. And and so I would I would just love that's like one that is a word that like instantly mm-hmm. like when I think of like microaggression, it's like very like subtle, often not acknowledged as a word that could hurt someone of color. But is so sinister. That's like my my one word. I'm just like get get rid of it. Like try to remove it from from your vocabulary if you can. Um, what about you? Or- yeah. So as we've kind of offline spoke about before, I was you know the only black person in the space, and for a lot of creatives of color, um, they they could. So for some of my coworkers, I was actually the only black person they'd ever worked with. Um, and this is like people who'd been in the industry for like 20 years. And like, I would straight up ask them like, have you actually worked with any other black creatives? And they like think for a while and like, oh my gosh, no, you're the first one. So I think being in that space, there's a lot of education <laughs> that hasn't happened. There's a lot of, you know, everyone has biases. Everyone has unconscious biases. Like, 
it's the framework in which you're reacting to situations. It's like your history that you're bringing to the table. If everyone has them, I think it's important for you to recognize it. And when people don't recognize it, I think is when microaggressions tend to pop up. Um, so yeah, so I think everything from, you know, one time I came into work uh, with straight hair. So my hair's yeah. curly, came in, work with straight hair just because like, hey, I like to switch it up. Um, and, you know, one of my coworkers was so shocked because I never straightened my hair. Um, and they said, oh, oh my gosh, your, your straight hair looks so professional. So <laughs> that's one. We'll, we can get into that in a second. Um, you know, but growing up, there's been, oh, you didn't sound black on the phone. Or you're so articulate. Or what are you? At the end of it, there's a lot of like been a lot of identity searching and me realizing that my black experience isn't, isn't any validated. Yeah. Being the only one in that space, having to hear all these microaggressions, it's really hard to figure out what to react to. Oh, I, I actually forgot the last one. So there's a lot more, but I think the last <laughs> yeah, one that like I'm actually gonna say right now is me and a coworker, good friends, like just complaining. Oh yeah, this happened. He's like, oh my goodness. And then like, you know, we're he's like really like supporting me, like because I was like really, you know, frustrated at something and you know, at someone. And then he goes, Nigga, please. That's and I it's tough. Like and I was like, excuse me, what? He's like, oh, I wasn't talking about you. I was like, he was like, you know, the 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 nigga in the situation was not me. It was this other white dude who was complaining about. There's so many, there's so many times where people think that either they're being supportive or they're, you know, really on this wavelength with you. Yeah, trying to to sort of create some sort of connection with you. Mm-hmm. Are relating to you in ways that they perceive yeah um or they presume you that you would want to be uh related to you i think there's always like the answer you give some people or the response you give some people is then the real answer and yeah. so the i think Issa, the isa ray moment yes yeah, so I, I think it's like <laughs> I think it's like what's going on like in the back of your mind and then what you actually say. And so sometimes those can match up. Like ideally you're in a space where you feel comfortable enough so those can like come together. But a lot of times they don't. The real answer to what are you is that I am a product of racist, the racist history of the United States. It's like I did the whole ancestry thing, like did my tree all the way up. And yes, I'm light skin. My grandmother's light skin. I have not had anyone of full European descent come into like my family line since the early 1800s. And it was only a relationship between a slave and a slave owner. That's the only time that I got mixed it. <laughs> and when you're, when you're asked that question, nobody wants to, nobody who asked that question wants mm-hmm. to hear all of that. I, I look so ethnic because of generations of assaulted women. That is, that is the real answer. <laughs> yeah. That is the real answer, you know? And so it's like, they could just be like, oh my gosh, you just like look ethnic. And I'm like, oh yes, grandmothers were raped. Like that's like, like that is literally what that is. So it's like, they might be thinking it's fine. But then first of all, they're like, the real answer is like generational trauma. You asking what I am 
is also very much otherizing me in this space. Yeah, it's also like a blatant disregard for the history of America. And and, mm-hmm. and we've seen we've seen this dichotomy play out where you know white Americans um in their pursuit of their slice of American pie have established this very rosy history. Mm-hmm. Um and and uh the way that they view this society comes from a place where like everything is all good. Everything's all like nice. We got the white picket fence. We had Obama. We were post-racial. Yeah, like everybody's included. Mm-hmm. Um, your story is you came from the Netherlands somewhere where your African father met some <laughs> white woman and they opened up a coffee shop. And at some point <laughs> they decided to move to the States in 1982. Um, and they just been living this happy-go-lucky, wonderful life ever since. And the reality is like nine times out of 10, that is not the case, mm-hmm. right? So it's a blatant disregard for like who we are and, and how we built this country. But then also it's, it's just like, when you brought up like otherizing you, like there's so much more dimension. Mm-hmm to like my race or the color of my skin. So when I ask, what are you? Like that, that should not be the question mm-hmm. that we should present to someone. Um, and we also shouldn't be so infatuated with the racial makeup of people who look different than us. We should be asking them what their story is. That is so much more indicative and, and, and such a, better question to ask someone when you want to connect with them because that's where it comes from it's not the intention isn't to um really figure out like i really want to know what the hell becca is mixed with mm-hmm. right in some cases no you you have some people who um are very much in this realm where they're looking at you from the perspective um, of like, I can't categorize you. Yeah, help I me, can't. help me categorize you. And I think that's no, but I like the, I like the whole like your story. Thing. Yeah, but you should be, you should be asking people what their their story is, and and I think a lot of times when white people ask that question, I don't receive that question. Because mm-hmm. um, the other thing you got to think about is when you grow up in America, what you're taught to do is check boxes or think through everything from this very rigid um, perspective. And I think, I think that's, you know, it's not, I think just the U S like, I think learning how to categorize things we're, yeah. we're that's what we do as, as kids. We're learning. Okay. This is, this is good. This is bad. This is safe. This is not, mm-hmm. this is like tasty. This is gross. Like there's, there's all these like boxes and things that we categorize in um, categorize like life in and that allowed you to sort of set up some some guardrails um for how you go about mm-hmm. your life so it's like becca looks like this and that means this yeah and i i think it's something that's going to naturally happen those are our biasy boxes yes. being built but i think it's like when we're unconscious about what is going into these boxes and how they're set up i think that's when a lot of the danger comes into play yeah. and with the whole quote 
your hair looks so professional. I think as far as microaggressions go, that's also one thing where it's like, okay, think you're saying my hair is so professional, but I actually, after that point, I was like, I'm never straightening my hair at work because I am a professional. And so that means however I do my hair, my hair is also professional. So in its curly glory, my hair is professional. Even with someone saying that, it's like they're not, they're, they're meaning it to be like it was a compliment. Like, oh, you look so professional. You're straight, you're so professional as a compliment. But what they're not getting is that they're saying then that my curly hair that I was born with was not professional. They don't realize that they're actually just like repeating this mantra. But I also know Black women, I've just heard so many times, just like offhandedly, Black women say, oh yeah, I'm going for an interview. I need to straighten my hair this weekend because curly hair is not looked at as professional. Like, and there's so many stories. You can just Google it and then they're there. But for black women, that's something that's so strongly kind of like a factor in both their, uh, if they're going for a job or then in the workplace afterward. Racism is a structure. Yeah. And so a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not racist because, like, you know, I don't like, you know, say, you know, down with black people. But I think it's those structures, those ideas, those like implicit biases yeah. where, you know, they just like think that that's, oh, my gosh, so professional is a compliment. Well, think like, I mean, it just goes back to um, that societal conditioning that happens, all the media images that you receive as a child growing up. Um, all of the celebrities, all of our figures that are considered beautiful, they look a certain type of way, mm-hmm. right? And it all falls under this um, gross utopian uh, sort of channel of whiteness. And so when someone looks at you and you straighten your hair and they're just like, huh, it looks more professional. The What they're really saying, if you were to translate is, oh, like, I like your hair when it aligns more with, you know, everything that I've seen in my culture mm-hmm. and how I've, you know, grown to look at my mother, how I've grown to look at all these white icons that I look up to. When when you do that, I feel closer to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a, that's a very, very, one, they... They may not recognize it, um, but that's something that needs to be unpacked. But that puts you in a place where then you have to look internally and and sort of assess like, oh, like what, what do I do with my hair in order to not have these conversations? Do like I fight for my identity or do I use this to position myself to set up better relationships long term? I, I know people who do that. Yeah, I, I actually, so with some of like the coffees I've had uh, with like other black designers in the area, I know people who are like, oh yeah, I just straighten my hair so I don't have to deal with it. And I think that's it, but going into a space where they know that they're being judged a certain way, either explicitly or implicitly, I think like that has a toll on people. And I, and, you know, back to like, you go back to like, oh, you sound so articulate microaggressions are based off of stereotypes. It's like, because I'm not familiar with this group of people or because I'm not, you know, I don't know this other person's life experience. I'm going to base everything I think about this person on these stereotypes. Like, you know, all black people are going to talk a certain way. Every 
black experience is just this the same path yeah and so when you like veer off of it they're saying it's like oh you sound so articulate because you sound like me but i would have thought that you sound that you sounded <laughs> like what i saw on the television right um and so yeah it, it goes into like how media is portrayed it's almost the cycle because like as designers we're helping to kind of like build the 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 constructs of what we see in the media but if there's only three out of a hundred of us in these areas the the stereotypes that are being perpetuated are no it's 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 definitely those stereotypes the music um what they see on social media what they watch in in movies and in, in television that's always going to be the louder voice, especially in this generation. Mm-hmm. Um, the irony is that white America has very much adopted and has always like adopted our culture. But when when you hear our vernacular in corporate spaces, like oh, or like <laughs> any any of um, the terms that that we use today that you know came from black and brown people. It's almost as though they're picking and choosing parts of you, which are are okay. And in a lot of it, it's like if if you are, if you do sound black, why is that also a bad thing? You know, it's it's like oh, you sound so articulate. It's like I sound so articulate because I sound like you, but I can be very articulate even if I don't. It's like it, I, I think what all like you know, hair is professionally sounds so articulate. All those are getting to like that power structure where one is better and one is less yeah and i think that it's like you sounds oh it's like you can speak so well it's like i can speak so well because i've been speaking since i was uh, actually i spoke late but (laughs) 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 then i had to go to speech therapy for three years but um but it's like i've been speaking since i was a child so yes i can speak it might may or may not be exactly like you that doesn't decrease any of that yeah it it doesn't diminish my my intelligence um and it doesn't mean that i am not fully capable of um generating good ideas It, it just means that i have different modes of communicating and so for for me language language is probably like the foundation um of of a lot of trauma or or the way like that the way that like white society tries to marginalize black people like language is one of those pillars um and when you assimilate into a space that's like the first thing to go that is the first thing that you change about yourself some code switching yeah yeah (laughs) um and and so that is one thing that I am very mindful of when I have any conversation about the way that I communicate to other people. If I am pulled up about that, the first thing that I have to ask myself is whether or not there is bias involved in this feedback. I worked at a space where I was told that I did not communicate well at all and I was told to go to a class and when I went into the class what I saw was a white man leading a class full of Asian and brown people wow yeah and then I I started to realize that something was at play here and 
that because white people have built themselves up in, in such a way where they can dictate the ways in which we communicate, mm. um, they can essentially tell you that you're wrong, like you're speaking wrong, or the way that you present yourself is wrong. But in all actuality, it's it's not. Um, and so you need to arm yourself with that. But then on both sides, uh, there can be understanding in terms of the different ways that we like to communicate with people. Black vernacular is no less valid as a language than Patois or uh, French or, or Portuguese or, or any of these languages that exist um, on, on the diaspora. But the way that it is is viewed has everything to do with the stereotypes and tropes that we have applied to Black people specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it definitely, it just, it grinds my gears when someone tells me or another person that they do not speak correctly. Mm-hmm. But then I can turn around and hear that person recite lyrics to like a Migos song. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like it's like not a problem. Yeah, I feel like there's always like an internal struggle mm-hmm. of whether or not, like of, of how you're going to react to it. If you're going to just internalize it and like leave it as is, which I did with the, your hair looks so professional. Like, I feel like I was so shocked and hurt and I need so much to process it that I said nothing versus, you know, when homeboy said like, nigga, please, I got in his face. So, but I, I, I feel like, you know, microaggressions, there are things that are said that, like the person saying it doesn't have to walk away and think about it. It's a person who receives it that walks around and like, you know, these things happened like a year ago, but they're still like, I made huge decisions based off of it. Like at, at in that workplace, I never again went to work with my hair straight. Like ever, even if I like had one to do over a weekend, I think I went to like, I went somewhere. I wanted to like do something different. I straightened my hair. It went back to curly before I went back to work. So there's so many like huge emotional implications based off the things that are said. Like, do you have lines or, or situations like what, what for you at least determines when you do or when you do not try and correct a microaggression? I think for me, it's, it's, it's been a growth uh, process. There are things that have happened in my life that I'm still unpacking today. Mm where like maybe I didn't um fully understand what was happening in the moment um or maybe I tried to make excuses for people and I tried to see the best in them not realizing that like to your point I I've carried that with me um and we're talking about things that might have happened like seven or eight years ago Uh, and, and that can be really harmful and damaging so I don't necessarily know i'm sure like i have lines like if someone uses the n-word in front of me i'm not going to respond to that well but what i am trying to to do more is be present in the moment and say what i feel in the moment regardless of whether or not someone is going to be comfortable Mm -hmm. with my reaction to what they said so letting someone know how things affect me is very much what i'm working on but uh, 
I, I do have, I do have times where I've, I've acted out of pocket. I would say generally, um, I, I pretty much responded what I, what I've always tried to do. And I, I want to do less of this instead of being direct about it. I would use this sense of like sarcasm mm. to respond to someone or I joke about them or try to make fun of them when they would do something like that um, versus being very serious. And the reason that I came from the perspective of like a joke or trying to keep it lighthearted is because I was mindful of whether or not they would really receive the information that I was trying to give them. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, like this bothers me. And I think that's like it when you're responding to microaggressions and you're you're trying to take a corrective measure, there's like always this like mind thing over like, will this person like how is this person going to respond if I correct them? Like, yeah, yeah, they just they just like triggered some trauma in me, like that like my ancestors are calling back and like yeah. like I'm it's prioritizing like, how they, their feelings. It's like, how are they going to respond? Are they going to it's like, especially if you're the only one in that space, are they going to respond being like oh, this person just got aggressive with me because of X, Y, or Z, or they're overly sensitive. It's, I I feel like, I say my wannabe woke white people are some of the worst offenders. It's like, because in their minds that they're super liberal, they're super open, they're not prejudiced or racist whatsoever. And so they feel like nothing that they could say could be construed as a microaggression because they and, don't feel it in their heart <laughs> yeah and so because they don't feel in their heart but they're you know it's almost sometimes harder to have those corrective moments because their view of themselves is 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 so much like oh i would never do something i would never do something prejudice and so if someone says that what i just said was prejudice or based off of race like racism in america if it was like actually a race racist ideology First of all, like I've I've seen a lot of like poor reactions on that. It's like, how could you say that I would be racist? Because I wouldn't. Like people like freeze up, and so there's always like this thing over like, will they accept this? And is this some a moment that we can actually have where it can be like I won't, I won't feel uh, kind of like the the hit back later. Like I'm not gonna be hurt for this in the long run if it's, I do this corrective thing. Yeah, and it's it's difficult. Like you you have to be mindful of how you're you're challenging the way that they think and mm-hmm. the way that you're challenging what they said. But then also the other difficulty is the fact that you know they don't have the background of education to engage in these conversations in a constructive way. To be like, oh okay like here is here is why and but it's also not on you to be like all right let's look at the history of america <laughs> like like, right? like also like i'm let's so look at, tired of educating the masses from like white people from like, like madam cj walker to like shea moisture <laughs> like let me do all of that work for you um no like that's that's not my job mm-hmm. um so it it also becomes very difficult to get someone to a place of understanding with you when there's so much that they have to catch up on Mm -hmm. in order to even acknowledge your perspective on the situation. Over the last like few years, I've actually tried 
to like when microaggressions happen, just have courageous conversations like for myself. Uh, and kind of like you said earlier that yes, people might not respond correctly, but at the end of the day, I'm going to feel like I actually did something like I'm going to feel good with my reaction to it. Your, um, your heart and mouth are going to react faster than your brain will. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like that needs to be okay. <laughs> and, that, and that needs, sometimes you can't catch yourself. You, no, you just, and, the, you and I have tried to stop catching myself yeah. because I felt like I, I did it a lot. And I was like, you know, you know what? We're trained to. They're, yes, we're trained to assimilate into certain spaces. And so like, I would not say things or I would do things in order to like ha- not have people like, you know, be racist or like treat me a certain way but it's like you know you know what i can be my authentic authentic self in this space and that should be fine but you know there's plenty of plenty of when we woke white people mm-hmm. and i feel like my advice to them is to start doubting themselves yeah. you know I, I feel like that's where it starts. It's like, start doubting yourself. Start start doubting that you are, you know, this progressive, like, you know, you you know all the ins and outs of like these people. Like, start, start doubting it because then you'll start to ask questions. You'll start to read a book and realize that, oh, some things I say could actually hurt other people. Um, at the same time, it's like, don't, I, I feel like so many people rely on, on those you black people who feel super confident to have those conversations in, in at their workplace or anything else, that that's the only place they go for education. Like how many times have you gotten to work? And then, you know, right after like get out, got out, like, <laughs> get out, got out. and people were like, Oh my gosh, you see that. And they like want to have this discussion over, you know, the, the topics of certain things with you because you're like the black person, but it's like, go read a book. You know, you know what, like specific to get out. I remember, instances where conversations happen around me Mm. about how much people didn't like that movie but like in earshot like audible Mm. um but i i agree with you i would i would say a lot of times especially in workspaces you spend a portion of your time as an educator slash therapist for white fragility uh, yeah. and, uh it's it can be it can be very difficult mostly taxing um to add on to your first recommendation if you have an unsettling feeling do not run to your closest neighborhood uh black person <laughs> like don't do that that's a no-no like start to work that out by yourself mm-hmm. um and work it out with other white people because i don't got time I don't right? always have the time, especially if I don't ones, like you like that. Like <laughs> we don't always in our spaces. We cannot we, we cannot educate the masses. I feel like there is also the balance of feeling like you do, feeling like you do have to like educate the masses and like every because essentially like you do want to create safe spaces for yourself. I had to find my balance and everyone has their balance. Like I'm a very outspoken person. So my balance is telling someone that they can never, ever, ever, ever say nigga please yeah you know like me i was like poking his chest i was like <laughs> no, no no like i was stuttering i was like no, no, mm-mm, mm-mm. like that was that is how i felt comfortable enough to respond but then I, I feel like people just need to find 
their own spaces, the way that they like the way that they'll feel good about themselves later, like find, you know, find that. And like, it's, it's always like something where they're gauging the reaction of something else. If it was like the person who said that I was very comfortable with, if it was someone else probably would have had a slightly toned down reaction. And it, it, it can feel, it can feel weird. I have had friendships with white people who are people who believe themselves to be white. I've had relationships with them that very, very like nice, good intentioned, um, just open people. But when you have moments like that, where boundaries are crossed, you start to question the validity of the relationship. Um, and it can start to go into a realm of fetishization. Mm. We're just like, like what? Like, why would you step outside of your everyday sort of um, presentation of yourself? Because you feel as low. I identify with that. Like he mm-hmm. felt and probably in his heart of hearts, he felt when he said that, it's like, all right. He's like, like, I'm in. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm in. We're doing this. I'm in. This is something yeah. that I probably have always wanted. Mm. Mm-hmm. And whether or not that's the case, it's weird. And you can't walk away from that situation. It's like unchanged. they're co- they're trying to code oh, code switch into yeah. something that was not even ever programmed into their code. No. Again, well meaning and everything else, but it's 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 so important. Like for for those for people who are just gonna be blatantly racist, they're on their own. Like they're, yeah. they're just like, go away, you're gonna do your own thing. But for people who are actually trying to like create an inclusive environment, they need to start checking themselves. They need to like doubt what they say. They need to like doubt how they view everything else and then start doing the research on their own first to to either validate or invalidate what they're thinking. Yeah. And then yeah. I've I've been in I've been in rooms. I've been at happy hours. I've been at parties where somehow the conversation goes down that path. And I was not the person who initiated mm-hmm. that conversation. And then someone turns to you because you are the only black person and says, Maxwell, do you think any of this is ever going to change? And then a group of white people collectively say, oh, it's a money issue. It's an economic issue. And it's very, very hard, especially the way that we've we've been programmed to just be you know, quick to adopting groupthink to be the sole person in the room challenging the idea that it's just a money problem. It's just an economic problem. For our only Black ones out there, the only ones with themselves in the space, facing like these microaggressions, what, what is the advice that you would try to give them? I would say respond how you want to respond in that moment. And do not hold it. Do not keep it to yourself. Like, absolutely. If you have, if you are upset, um, if you are angry, you have a right to that. Just the same way that your white counterparts have a right to embrace their full emotional spectrum at work. Right? Do that. Do not tuck that part of yourself away. Um, But then also, if you don't want to engage in that conversation, 
tell that person flat out, like, hey, I don't know what's going on here, like, but I don't, I don't got time for it. So sounds foolish to me. I'm walking away from this. Mm-hmm. And let them sit in their awkwardness. And that could be like, you, you have full autonomy and embrace that. Like, you, you're allowed to do that. And, and don't ever think that you're, you're not. I know that we've all been taught not to, but you, you should be allowed to, to stay, stand steadfast um, in how you want to handle those situations. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, I, I feel like in the last couple of years, like, I have really learned how to react in certain situations where it's like, I'm not kicking myself for not doing something later. I think that's honestly been like really like a healing, a healing thing for me later on, because like I can respond to something and then later on be okay. Like I responded very heavily to some person saying, please. Yeah. Uh, But then, you know, versus, you know, that's, I feel like a much, you know, in some ways bigger affront than someone saying my hair is, you know, more professional like you know different things but like i'm proud with how i reacted you know i'm proud of how i reacted to to a certain one and you know it i kicked my my ass for it that i didn't react to it um when someone said something else and so i think it's you know reacting the way as you said that we want to react in a way that makes us proud of it afterwards yeah yeah dude like do what you want. You do you. Yeah, you do like do what <laughs> do what you want. Um and do whatever you need to do that makes it such that you don't walk away from that situation feeling like god damn. Like I wish 3 years ago I would have stood up to that person or mm-hmm. I would have told them why they were wrong. Or I wouldn't have been so nice mm-hmm. about how I checked them. You owe them nothing. And they obviously treat you as they treat you as such so um yeah do what you need to do sweet well i feel like we got a lot done today a lot of awesome conversation and i am excited for everything else yeah this will be great